Good morning, everyone. How are you today? Uh, my name is Student Pastor Allen. Uh, and today we're going to look a little bit at the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to start off with this article a pastor once wrote about a mother who walked into her five-year-old son's bedroom and found him crying as he was getting ready for the day. She asked, what, what's the matter? He replied, I can tie my shoes all by myself now. That's wonderful. You're growing up to be so big. But why are you crying? His mother asked. He answered, because now I have to do this every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> Poor kid. He's already feeling the pain of growing up with all that responsibility, like tying your shoes and picking up your toys and making your bed. He has picked up on the drudgery and the duty of life. In fact, at five years old, he's already disappointed in having one more thing to do. Is that all there is to life? An ever-growing list of chores and responsibilities and repetitious details. This kid is going to continue to grow up and is going to continue to ask harder questions. What do I do that really matters in life? Did anything I accomplish have any lasting value? Am I condemned to simply repeat a list of chores and responsibilities all over again? Am I going to be tied down to the treadmill of life? And five years old aren't the only ones asking these questions. 35-year-olds do, 50-year-olds, 85-year-olds. Does anything in life really have any meaning beyond the endless cycle? Or am I like a gerbil trapped in a cage running around on a wheel? Is there any lasting purpose to the things I do in life? There is an old man who wrote the same questions on his journal. God evidently wants us to be exposed to his questions and answers and learn from them. So he included Solomon's journal in, in the scriptures. This journal is called the book of Ecclesiastes. Where Solomon is asking some, some harder questions. We arrive today at chapter 1 and verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Ecclesiastes 1-2. Now, anytime you find one word repeated five times in a verse, you ought to notice it. Question is, what exactly does vanity mean? In the 4th century, a church leader named Jerome translated this Hebrew word evil into Latin using the word vanitas. And vanitas was then transliterated vanity into many English translations for centuries to come. The problem is when the average English readers hear the word vanity, we, th we think of someone who is vain, stuck on themselves, or absorbed in their own appearance or opinion. Everything is about them. They can't wait to pose their next selfie. They're so vain. That's the idea behind the famous song, you're so vain, I'll bet you're thinking sermons about you, about you. 
I won't be doing any uh, singing anytime soon. (laughs) The truth is we better get the correct meaning of this Hebrew word or we're going to miss much of what Ecclesiastes means. Because Solomon is going to use this word 37 times throughout the book. It is his favorite word. If you look at the word vanity in your Hebrew lexicon, you, you discover that it means vapor or breath. Secondary meanings can be translated fruitfulness or transience. Solomon will use this word to describe futility, frailty, senselessness, desperation, and frustration. So when you see the word vanity, understand that its nuanced meaning is going to be determined by the context. How you and I use the word love today is similar in learning the term's meaning through the context. You say you love your wife, but you also say you love football. Hopefully, it's not the same type of commitment you're talking about. You love coffee. You love reading. You love mountain climbing, scrapbooking. You love crossword puzzles. You love chocolate-covered donuts with cream filling. In the same way Solomon uses the word vanity, which is why it is best to let the context determine the nuance of this somewhat elastic term. But notice that Solomon is putting a lot of emotion into this expression. He is stating it as a superlative. This is the highest degree possible. Vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. In other words, to the highest degree, life is vanity. Life isn't just fast. Fast is really, really fast. It isn't just frustrating. It really, really is frustrating. Or it really, or it's really, really futile. By the way, we have other examples of this in the Bible, like Holy of Holies, which is which was a really, really holy place. When you read the Lord of Lords, that means he really, really, really is charged as sovereign. When you read he is King of Kings, it indicates to the highest degree possible Jesus Christ is King. He isn't just a king. There's no, there's no king higher than him. So in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is effectively claiming that everything on earth and life to the highest degree can be described as either totally empty, entirely meaningless, or absolutely futile. And that leads Solomon to deliver this really penetrating question which people are still asking to this day. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 3, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And the word gain is is a term normally used in the business world of commerce. It refers to surplus. It refers to having something left over to show for your hard work. Solomon is basically asking, so what do you have to show for all your hard work under the sun? By the way, under the sun is another favorite expression of Solomon's. He will write it, in his book, 29 times. In fact, Ecclesiastes is the only book in the Bible where you find this expression. He is lamenting about the, the lack of profit, lack of, of substance, the lack of progress, and the lack of meaning from the perspective of living under the sun. Solomon will eventually task us to remember our Creator, God, Because without God, 
who reigns above the sun, who rides upon the clouds as his chariot, and names and orders the stars and planets he created by his word. Without him, your perspective is limited and tied to a treadmill of existence down here under the sun. And if that is all you get and that is all that matters, Solomon will show us that his perspective would lead to ultimate frustration and despair all throughout life. A popular magazine some time ago cataloged the answers to the question, why are we here? A taxi driver by the name of Jose Martinez got right to the point when he replied, we're here just to live and then to die. I do some fishing, take my girl out, pay taxes, do a little reading, and then get ready to drop dead. The only cure for the world's illness is complete nuclear war. Wipe everything out and start all over again. Nominated numerous times for the Nobel Prize in Literature in, literature in the early 1900s, Leo Tolstoy, the author of War and Peace, acclaimed as, as one of the greatest works of literature in the world, put these thoughts in a more philosophical terminology, yet arrived at the same point. He wrote in his, in his later years, The age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide. A question without an answer to which one cannot live is this. What will come of what I'm doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? Is there any meaning in my life that death does not destroy? In Solomon's bestseller, it goes like this. What does man gain by all the toll at which he toils under the sun? Again, Ecclesiastes 1.3. In other words, do you really gain anything over a lifetime of being tied down to the treadmill of life? And he knows the answer. The, the answer is no. Life under the sun, if that is all you are living for, ends up empty, frustrating, and, and futile in the end. And if anything, the world of nature around, around us happened to be showing us how small and powerless we happen to be as well. To begin providing his point, which will take chapters into his journal, Solomon begins by asking, by, by taking us on a field trip into nature and, and around, uh, beginning in verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Ecclesiastes 1.4. In other words, Solomon seems to say, have you noticed that the earth seems to remain as steady as ever, but we do nothing but come and go? It doesn't seem right, but we can find a way out of the funeral procession we are, we are all heading towards, especially when 160,000 people die on average every single day at the rate of nearly two people per second. And the earth just keeps on revolving at the same speed, on the same, score, on the same course, steady as she goes, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. 
And it's, it's as if the earth doesn't even seem to care that last year, as it made one revolution around the sun, about 55 million people died. Solomon ponders the question, if you really think you are something, you think your life matters, you are just one of millions in many generations on their way to the grave. So work overtime if you want, take that vacation, read a book, or go hunting, or eat that donut. You might as well have two. I'll probably have three or four. And go earlier than expected. But whatever you do, you cannot avoid the funeral procession that is, is coming your way. And Solomon might be hinting at, at something else here. He writes that generations come and go, people come and go, but the earth they occupied goes to someone else after they're gone. Our homes are, are built in a neighborhood that used to be a field. Now, now it has dozens of homes. Who is to say in a hundred years it's not going to be a field again? The earth is going to remain, it seems, to Solomon that all we do is come and go. About 300 years ago, the Karaba Indians tribe used to hunt and fish in this region where they lived for several hundred years. Spanish explorers documented the presence of, of the Karaba Indians here in what will become North Carolina, all the way back to the 1500s. By the time settlers arrived, smallpox had decimated the tribe and the land around here, was deeded in the mid-1700s to Francis Jones, who began developing a large farm. About 50 uh, years later, Nancy jo Jones turned her house into a stagecoach stop and John Bradford built an inn for, for travelers. It was the same land the Indians once roamed, but now stagecoaches were crisscrossing in the Piedmont area. Another 50 years later, the Chatham Railroad built a rail, railroad junction just a few miles from Durham, North Carolina, and a man by the name of Francis Page saw the, saw the potential growth and purchased 300 acres. About the same time, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill began. Also around that time, Francis Page incorporated his land into a township and named it after a senator he liked from up north by the name of Samuel Carey. Page then uh, built a sawmill, a post office, a general store, and eventually a school that he named Carey Academy. In 1864, General Sherman was returning from burning Atlanta to the ground through the uh, Civil War, and he camped out on property in this area as he was being farmed. That same piece of property is going to end up being farmed for another 100 years, 130 years until a church bought it and built a worship center. It's named Colonial. So the point of that little history lesson is that the earth remains, generations come and go, 
from Indians to settlers to soldiers to farmers, they have all come and gone. The funeral procession marches on and it doesn't seem to change the earth at all. Solomon goes on to tell us that we can't affect the the sun either. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where where it rises. Ecclesiastes 1.5. As if to imply, the older you get, the harder it is to get out of bed in the morning. I'm starting to feel it and I'm only 33 years old. But not so for the sun. It rose this morning right on time and... It hastens, it hurts, literally it pants on its mission to make its way as it were across the sky. It rose this morning and it will set tonight. Solomon continues his observations with regards to the wind. The wind blows to the south and goes around the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. Ecclesiastes 1.6. By the way, before Solomon could ever observe global circulation of the atmosphere, before he could ever scientifically prove the existence of the great jet streams of, of earth, which run in circles, he writes of that very thing here. One of the proofs for divine inspiration is when authors of Scripture reveal truths that scientists do not find out for hundreds of years. Solomon seems fascinated with the wind. He observes the fact that mankind cannot change the direction of the wind. The wind just keeps on blowing and it seems to be on course. Mankind can't change. He referred to it once in the Song of Solomon, six times in the book of Proverbs, but he referred to the wind 14 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon reminds us that the earth keeps spinning, the sun keeps uh, shining, the wind keeps blowing, and finally the, the rivers keep flowing. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To a place where the streams flow, there they flow again, Ecclesiastes 1.7. There is this sense of cycles and repetitions in nature. The reference here to the rivers or streams is a reference to winter streams, which take their water to the sea, and the next year they have an abundant supply to do it all over again. So the sun keeps rising and setting, the wind keeps circling and blowing, and the rivers keep running. And where, where Solomon started with this, with these verses, was where he says, generations keep coming and going, people keep on dying. And just remember that Solomon is writing from the perspective of someone whose gaze is going higher than than the sun. He is describing life without God. 
He is telling the truth about the tedium of life apart from the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ left heaven and entered this fallen, this fallen world and stepped onto the treadmill of, of humanity. He toiled under the sun, getting splinters in his carpenter's fingers and calluses on his hands. He grew weary, hungry, and thirsty. His schedule was governed by the sunrise and the sunset. He came to redeem us from a broken life that is bound up and focused only on life under the sun. And by doing that, he shows us he showed us the value of work and integrity and how the smallest act of kindness, even if it's opening a door for someone, can bring his character and reputation glory. Without God, life is pointless. With God, life has purpose. Without God, life is a series of accidents. With God, life is a series of assignments. Therefore, my beloved brethren, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, be steadfast, unmovable, stay the course, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That is, always abounding in the, in the work to you by the Lord. Knowing that your labor, knowing that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15:58. Life under the sun can seem like vanity of vanities. Brief, meaningless, futile, redundant. But when you became a Christian and every day as you dedicate whatever it is that you do in obedience to Christ, you are effectively moving your vanity of vanities into the holy of holies. The repetition of life, the cycles of life and the toil of life, the smallest things to the most significant things are equally designed by the sovereign purposes of God. So give everything you've got to whatever God has given you. From tying your shoes all by yourself to teaching that class, fixing that machine, writing that code, writing that contract, washing those dishes, or, or mowing the lawn. Life has sacred purpose. The Lord has moved our life from its vanity of vanities into the very presence of himself which turn your life into the holy of holies by faith in Christ you belong to the king above all kings and the lord above all lords without God you're running in circles with God you're running a race We are on assignment here. And we are here for such a, such a time as this. And we're not just dying. We're ultimately going home. 
through the mundane aspects of life, it can become difficult and hopelessness can begin to set in in our hearts and boredom, difficulties, challenges. In some of the circles I uh, uh, I go, they, they say, don't stop until the miracle happens. So if you keep finding yourself in the mundane aspects of life, just stay the course. Uh, the Lord will come through. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today, Lord. I pray as we continue into this year and as we continue to face all the challenges of this new year. I pray, Lord, that you give us patience, that you encourage us, and that you help us through the most difficult aspects of life, which is the mundane, the every day mundane aspects of life. In your name we pray. Amen.